Hey, this is Vivian Campbell, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Scott here. Richie. Welcoming you to another episode of Focus on Metal. Uh, hope you enjoyed our show last week with our talk with Doug Pinnock. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you go out and pick up your copy of KXM's new one, Scatterbrain. But uh, this week, uh, Richie did an uh, on-site interview with the one and only Bobby Blitz, ending our, uh, our semi-unofficial boycotting of Overkill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it wasn't really... Over- it wasn't really... Their fault was more. No, their, it was the bullshit it PR people. It was more like we talked again. about last week. More than bullshit, bullshit PR. PR people. Yeah, um, giving you all these excuses. Yeah, and um, you know I'm man enough to you know if, if just tell me. Yeah, if, you know if we're not going to get the, <laughs> if you don't want us to talk to the guy, you know don't make these bullshit excuses yeah. and. But that one was funny because it, it like gave you the runaround about it. Not this time, last time gave you all kinds of runaround about stuff, and then was like, but can you please promote the album? Yeah, <laughs> and you—that set you off. It did. You went fucking yeah. ape shit. It's like what the hell? And like you said, like at least just be honest, but not be like give a runaround and then be like, hey, by the way, you just let me slap you on the other side of your face too. But you you went down this this time, and uh, except for the uh, your phone casualty, uh, you had a pretty good night out with Overkill. I did. Um, they're on the same level as Death Angel. Yeah, and. I'm starting to get on pretty well with the people in there. I think once you do a pretty decent job and the audio is good and you, you get it out there, they're 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 pretty happy with it. Yeah. Um, so we did Ted Aguilar, and then I asked about doing Overkill, and uh, normally they contact me about the week before the show, and <clears throat> I'll be honest with you, I didn't. So I don't know until a few days before if I'm even go- if it's even going to happen. And yeah. sometimes you think, nah, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So I get an email. Um, can you do an interview on, you know, the Friday night? And I'm like, here's the road manager, blah, blah, blah. And um, <clears throat> so I send him a text and uh, he tells me I'm talking to Bobby. Yeah. Now, normally the singer is the guy you don't talk to. because yeah, very before, unusual. Yeah, so before, yeah. before a show, uh, the singers don't only want to talk to anybody. Yeah. Because they want to keep save their voice. Yeah. So I met the tour manager, a really nice guy. And the funny thing was, at the side of the venue... Um, the road manager for Death Angel yeah. was standing next to him and I I shook, put out my hand and said, oh, how you doing? And he's like, oh, nice to see you again. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing here? He says, oh, I work here. I was just on the road with Death Angel for the tour. And I'm like, all right. So I get brought in anyway and I'm talking to the road guy and, uh, you know, talking away to him. And, um, and you know, he says, uh, I'm surprised I'm interviewing Bobby. And he says, Bobby does all the media yeah. on the road, all of it. And I'm like, wow. I says, normally uh, the singer doesn't do it. And he says, no, Bobby doesn't mind doing it at all, does mm. it all. And uh, he was in uh, he was in talking to someone when I was outside. And um, one of the support bands uh, was walking up the stairs and he had his phone on him and I think he was talking to his daughter. And he's like, oh, you know, I miss you, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> like 45 minutes later, he was on the stage going. <laughs> and I was just, la- I was fucking hell. I was just laughing. 
All I can think of is, is, was it, was in Metal Evolution, right? When they're talking to Dallas Cooper, remember he's talking about being over in Norway and all the death metal bands and, and they're all looking fierce and they come up. Oh, hey, Mr. Cooper, can you sign this for my mother? And like, yeah, (laughs) it's one of my favorite scenes in Metal Evolution. (laughs) But, um, I got into talk with Bobby and, you know, Bobby was like, uh, oh, here, want a beer? I'm like, sure. So, I spent half an hour with Bobby and I, you know, probably asked him a lot of stupid questions again, but um, I think I got some pretty good stuff out of him and uh, he was funny, very nice. You know, I didn't want to take up too much of his time and, um, you know, we talked a little bit beforehand. I was ta- asking him about the media stuff and yeah. he was like, oh yeah, I do all of it. You know, I don't mind doing it. I got to, you know, anything, promote, yeah. I want, we need to promote the band and you know, and the rest of the guys don't really want to do it. And I'm like, well, that, that's fine. I, yeah. I, I love to, you know, I thought I might've got the drummer. Yeah. Actually, I would have had the replacement drummer because <laughs> the actual drummer didn't, wasn't on the show but or on the tour. But um, yeah, I spoke to Bobby for about half an hour. I had some laughs with him. And, um, you know, the road manager got my CD signed by everybody. Yeah. Um, the show was phenomenal. There's one part during the show um, there were, Bobby ran off stage and I thought he, he, he it looked like he collapsed into the arms of one of the roadies. Uh-huh. And the show before that, that I saw him with Testament was the last show that he did before they canceled the rest of the tour. Uh-huh. And I actually talked to Bobby about that in the interview. So I'm there watching this show and next thing Bobby like staggers off and nearly falls into the roadies arms and I'm like, fucking deja vu <laughs> I was like I don't fucking believe this and of course it was. I think they were playing Hello from the Gutter and the uh-huh. band had to play their, 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 their half the song with no vocals Yeah. and Bobby came back out anyway and he said oh sorry about that you know a fart went down the wrong way and, <laughs> you know just having a laugh and a joke but um, they were phenomenal live and they finished the set the main set with Emerald uh-huh. Tin Lizzy yeah. and the version on, the, on the, the grinding wheel is brilliant and they do a really really good version but they were just an excellent, excellent live act. Yeah. And when it comes to albums, every two years, they nail it now. Yeah. All these trash bands now, they are just so fucking good. Their new stuff is just so good. Yeah. Just like the classic video for Judas Priest breaking the law, it's time to break into Focus on Metal's Vintage Vault.
let's talk about the show you went to. You went to see Def Leppard, Poison, and Tesla. The opening night, the yeah. tour. Yeah. Come on. Spill <laughs> the beans. <laughs> if, if they were good, they were good. If they were shit, they were shit. Say it. Yeah. All right. Well, I, then I guess it was kind of a shit sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> now you mention it like that. We got there towards the end of Tesla's set. which Sold is, out? It looked pretty well sold out. Okay. Um, so we got there towards the end of Tesla's set, and it was kind of a... We were out having a bite to eat, so we got there a little bit later. But and she really likes Tesla, so. Uh, but they were phenomenal. Although you could tell they were restricted and not, they weren't allowed to use the ego ramps. They had kind of the smaller stage. But it was weird to kind of see them in a big arena again because the last time we saw them, we saw them Hampton with, Beach uh, with at Hampton American Beach, Dog. and we ended up hanging out with American yeah. Dogs for their whole set. And didn't watch any of it, mm-hmm. so it was kind of weird to see them out there. But they they played really well. Um, sounded great. It was interesting, too, because each of the bands had their own sound setup, unlike having like the opening act using part of the main headliner's sound system and stuff. They each had their own individual boards and stuff. They sounded great. Then the, the meat of the shit sandwich came on. Hold on, hold on. Let, before you go on, yeah. I looked at the set that yeah. Tesla did. They did seven songs, uh-huh. right? They, did into, they opened up with Into the Now, and yeah. then everything was the first three albums. And I'm thinking to myself, you have seven songs. Yeah. Why do you not play anything of simplicity, any new stuff at all? They only because got you, seven songs. Yeah, but you're, you're not. Go you're with not all the hits. You're not the headliner. Into the Now is not a hit. Sure it is. After, no, it fucking is not. One of my favorite Tesla songs. I know, but it's not a hit. It's yeah. It's a very well known song. Absolutely. Is it? Yeah. I absolutely. wouldn't have thought so. Yep. I think I've seen them play it once, maybe. Um. And then, of course, it was like the Susie, Modern Day Cowboy, uh-huh. uh, Edison's Medicine, and it's, it's Love everything song. that they wanted to hear. Then they 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 played that smart. They knew that people there were not half the people there. Probably more than half the people there have no fucking idea simplicity exists. Okay, well then you stumped me on into the nail. I did not realize that that was a big yeah. song at all. Yeah, that 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 got a that got a lot of airplay and stuff. Absolutely, yeah, because to me, they could have come on and. A new song, a, a rocking song at the start. They would have got away with it and then played the hits. Yeah, this this was, and I'll explain. But this is definitely a crowd that is, I'm sure, predominantly it's their one show of the year, and they know nothing of anything new that these bands have put out. Maybe since the '80s, well, nothing. Po- Poison haven't put anything out since well, not the '80s, but go on. So, yeah, so they came on. Poison. Yes, the meat of the shit sandwich. And the mix was horrible. It is the worst concert mix I have ever heard, ever, ever. Hang on now. Just muddied or too, could, yeah. drums too loud? No, you, you, Brett Michaels too loud? And, and Ego Ricky too big? his little solo. I was like, oh, there's the drums. When CC did his solo, oh, hey, guitar. The thing you could hear the most was freaking Brett and the side of the stage keyboard player. The tapes? And... And we like we didn't even stand up for them. We just sat there. We were because neither one of us were like we don't care. People were going ape shit around us, like ape shit. Are you kidding me? And then we were sitting there, so we can't. We're not really even watching. And then it'd be like all of a sudden, all you could hear was Brett. And I'd like go to the side a little bit, look at the guy standing up next to me. And be like, oh yeah, the the keyboard player stepped away to get a drink. <laughs> then he'd come back and like, oh. This music again. It was it was it was horrible. And then you looked up the set list and they did what? Like four covers or something? They did did 
when I, I saw him with, funnily enough, Def Leppard. Uh-huh. Um, I've only ever seen him once. Um, they played for about 50 minutes. And I think they did like 10 songs. That inclu- uh, They had a guitar solo, uh-huh. which was absolutely abysmal. Uh-huh. And a drum solo by Ricky, which actually was pretty good. Uh-huh. Um, they did We're an American Band. Yep. They and did that. they did Your Mama Don't Dance. Yeah, they did that. Yeah. So I thought, you know, a band like Poison now that haven't played in four, four or five years, I'd say, yeah. at this stage, yeah. to play the same fucking set uh-huh. with a drum solo and a guitar solo as a support act. Yeah. They should be shot for doing that. It was No support act should ever, ever do a drum solo and a guitar solo. Yeah. And ever. they did, they did, uh, they, they, they had good energy. I'll give them that. They definitely did have good energy, although I've seen them more energetic than that. Now, maybe they couldn't hear it with the in-ears, but shame on whoever was mixing it because it was horrible. It was horrible. Like I said, the worst mix. And I'm thinking, people aren't around us, don't even know. It's This isn't like some club with a shitty PA system. This is like top flight flown yeah. gear. You're talking about, what, 10,000-seater hockey yeah, like it's a it's yeah. a proper and you, and roofed you, venue. And you, you know, Tesla before had top notch. It sounded fucking great. Yeah. Then you come on after them, and you sound like shit. And then they broke that down, and uh, you know they set up they set up Def Leppard pretty quick, actually, too. And uh, well, well, before you go into Def Leppard, yeah, um, how did Ricky Rocket look? Because he's he's look good. Yeah, good. Because I, I know was actually he had hoping a, that they were gonna. Did they actually mention that he, he cancer survivor? Yes, yeah, they did. did. Good, yeah. good. I'm um, happy. I was hoping that I could hear more of the drums because the guy makes his own drums. He makes drums. He does, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and it's not like a bullshit he puts his name on it. The guy works on them. And, and they're good sounding drums. And I was like, well, you know, I'll hear a little Actually, uh, quick aside, uh, Decibel Geek did a great interview with Ricky. Went through the look what the cat dragged in. Yeah. It's excellent. Good. You should listen to it. And, um, you know, so they, so Leopard came on and, and, um, you know, right before that, you know, I, I hear ACDC and I'm like, yeah. They're going to be on next. And she's like, why? I said, this is a warm-up the PA song. I said, this song is perfect to warm up your speakers. You can adjust to the house, everything with mm-hmm. this song. She's like, what? I'm like, trust me. This is a warm the PA up song. And as soon as that was done, yeah, definitely. Let's go for and, a song. And, uh, they, and it really great show. How did Joe sound? Phenomenal. Yeah, he has. Now, great. I, from, granted, first show of the tour, right? I've, so I've seen him. Voice, in, no, I've seen him into right? the tour, and he sounded pretty good. But you know, he's had some problems the last couple of years with things, yeah. right? But sounded great. Yeah. Um, the whole band sounded great. The show they put on was excellent. That they had some new stuff they were projecting behind them, and um, one thing I really liked that was cool was, and it and it like fooled me for a second that I forgot about the projection is when they were playing older songs they projected the banks of amplifiers behind them so yeah. it looked like they had stacks behind mm-hmm. them and it was only when you looked at a jumbotron that you could see all the pixelated dots mm. but it looked it was like that's a just looked really good when they did that and you it kind of just brought you back to that but they had some other really good stuff on the screen they had a lot of one of the songs they had a whole bunch of photos like from the past coming yeah. and coming all the yeah, way I've up. Yeah, I've seen and, that. And uh, they had another one that uh, she took a picture of. I'll, I'll show it when she sends it to me. Of uh, and It probably came off of their Vegas show 
with uh, all like neon signs, but then it was like looked like all steel work below it and stuff, and looked really good. About midway through, um, when they did the David Essex song, rock um, on, and it was funny because you know Rick comes out, he kind of comes on the ego ramp, and he starts playing a little something on bass. I went, oh, I can play a David Essex song. She's like, what? I said, David Essex song. She's like, no. I'm like, yes. Yes. And then and he went in, and she's like, all right, how many freaking times have you seen them? Leopard and. uh but it's like one of her favorite bands too, though. But she was like, but the fact that I could predict, like, you it's know, the first, it's the first tour through here I've missed since I moved here. Yeah, um, and I looked at the set, and I think the only song that they didn't play the last time was "Man Enough," uh-huh. and everything else was exactly the same. So they did, um, you know, in that one there, we came back out uh, and. Uh, Kind of had a little like this piano coat thing on a top hat, but the staging when the lighting they were doing kind of matched the black and white, and it was really they, it was pretty cool, pretty dynamic. And of course, the thing you know when I was saying earlier about I'll explain is that whenever they played anything that was new, that was like post hysteria, people just kind of stood there. I know, drove me mad. It's driven me mad at Leopard Kids. And they did, a, and they they did them all great. Early in the set. They did Dangerous as well, didn't they? Yes. the new record. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the other funny thing. The other one that people just kind of stood there about was they did Switch 625. The instrumental? I freaking love that song. And and, and to know that to go from (coughs) the song prior into that, because again, that album's baked in my brain, and I expect to hear... Song 4, Song 5. I expect to hear Switch 625 right after it. So when when they end it, and I just hear... I'm like... Oh no! And she's looking at me. And I'm just like, switch six two five. Do you not find it funny that? And pe- but people were like, they're playing. I'm like, I am into it, right? Because not- I know every. I'm like, I'm like doing it on her back, like dude. I'm doing the hits and everything. She's like, what the hell? I'm like, I know the song like the back of my hand, and people are just standing there because you can tell, like, they only listen to like a couple of the tracks off the album or just what was on the radio. Yeah. Do you not find it funny that Vivian Campbell was here the week before playing bars with Last in Line? Last in Line, In the same I know. here. Yeah, And yeah. the following week, he's here playing yeah. with Def Leppard in yeah. front of 12,000 people.
it too. And I like how they switch. I like how they they kept it split where he's still doing uh, Steve stuff. Phil does Phil stuff. He does Steve stuff, and that's good. There were some some uh, some hiccups, some transitional things that because even the next morning she goes, "Do you notice some mistakes?" I'm like, "Yeah, there." I just didn't want to like be like, "Aha, aha, aha." The like, encore, the encore they have is a photograph rock of ages. Yeah, it's one of the best one-two encore punches you'll ever see life. Yeah, yeah, just it was it was song. it was a good show. It was it, like I said, um, I guess you call. Poison the palate cleanser between Tesla and Def Leppard, uh, but it was good. Again, though, you know it's 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 a bummer that you get a, a lot of people that are like in our age group that didn't discover anything else by these bands. Hmm. Like you fuckers have missed so much other really good music that's there, and you're just like baked into like that. But I don't po- know. Poison didn't release much. In the nineties, Native Tongue is probably my favorite album. Is really good. Then they have Crack a Smile, which is um, yeah. But any of that got pfft, oh no, 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 nothing. Crack a Smile was and never actually even some pretty cool songs, like you said. But that like, was never even released at the time. It was canned. It was right. only years later it got released. But even like Native, there's some really good songs on there. Yeah, but can you imagine CC Deville playing Stand? He wouldn't be. Able oh to, no, 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 no. You know no, what I mean? No. And, like, and you also you still would need to have Richie to do the vocals on it too. Yeah, like right. Can, there's no way CC Deville yeah. is going to do any of that stuff. But it's you know it's yeah. But um, the Poison set list, right? Just to go back to that for a minute, like take out the covers. Like they have songs like you know Value Lost Souls or yeah the other studio tracks that are play. Did they play Cry Tough? No. Or I Won't Forget You. They were all singles. They did Won't Forget You, yeah. Cry Tough was a single, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. Drop, we're an American band and play your own fucking shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Did they do Fallen Angel? Yes. Oh, they did. Yeah. They did do Early that. on in the set. Or do Love on the Rocks or do something. Like yeah. those albums were multi platinum. Uh huh. Don't I know. just play covers. Like if Brett Michaels wants to play a bar on the corner uh-huh. and play covers, go ahead. But you're going out with Poison. Play fucking Poison songs. Yeah. Yeah. But people got into all of them. It was like people were losing their shit. I was even like, I'm like, should guys really be getting into Poison like this much at this point? They good. Like, I, the one time I saw them, they were good, but yeah. I was like, fucking hell, lads, you could be better. Play yeah. your own stuff and get the solos out. Yeah. Get rid of them. Yeah. Just play fucking 12 or 14 songs. They're all three and a half minutes long. Go yeah. bang, 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 off. Good I mean, it was, it was interesting because there wasn't, like the last time I saw them, I'm trying to think who they were playing with. I don't think it was Leopard. It was a while back. It was Hang a, on it a was, second. There's 10 bands, right? Put 10 bands on there. Know, and they all, they all juggle with each other. But it was, they, you know, they weren't the headliner. But they, that was one of the, it was one of those years where they were just barely all getting along kind of a thing. I think that was the year that Bobby Dahl actually fucking whacked Brett with the bass, like towards the end of the tour. Good. Um, <laughs> but... Was he the guy who put the lighting rig on his head in the yeah. Emmys or the Grammys or whatever? Maybe, maybe but, he pulled the string But it was... Um, they were there was there was kind of there was more energy there was more stage presence there it was just it was more energetic and it and it sounded better I don't know it was just I think mean, like people you guys paid good money for and there were actually people that left before Leopard which uh, I was here. like that's fucked uh, here maybe they got freebies but still fucking hell it was yeah it was but uh, it was a good night. Um, but again, it's just, it's weird. And the other, the other weird thing was, it was really weird to see so many guys with Def Leppard t-shirts on before the show. Like, it's one thing 
I have a shitload of Def Leppard t-shirts. What but are you saying? Them, but how many of them do you wear to a Def Leppard show? None. Yeah. It's like a rule. Yeah. Like, because, I mean, if, if my daughter Hunter was here, she'd be like, yeah, that's the that guy rule. It's like, look, it's that guy. It's one thing like, yeah, you go to the show. Are you talking about new shirts or no, old, old shirts? old shirts. Okay. Are you talking it's like one thing high like and dry a, or are you talking hysteria shirts? I'm talking just with the logo on it. Okay. And and it's one thing to go like, okay, you're at the merch booth. You don't feel like holding the damn shirt, so you throw the shirt on the rest of the night so you don't have to hold it. Like, yeah, that's I fine. I get that. I get that. Right? I don't know but a problem with that. There were like more guys with Def Leppard shirts on than there were girls with Def Leppard shirts on. Okay. And I was like, that's kind of, I don't know. To me, I was like, that was weird. Then there was a dude with the Slayer shirt, which was, I'm like, good. I have a Slayer shirt on. And she's like, yeah. Good. <laughs> but he was like singing like every lyric they were doing. Good, <laughs> Good for him. And, uh, you know, yeah. And, and I don't know. It seemed like it was like almost like a family that was together. And he looked like he was around our, our age, but there was somebody else that was another guy that was with him. It looked like he was easily in his like maybe 60s, like early 70s. He was going ape shit. He Good. was going ape shit for it, like singing like, wow, dude, like knows all the lyrics. Like, wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, one more thing to touch on before we get into into the interview. Um, last year, one of the concerts that came around here that I never got a chance to go to and I really wanted to go and see. And I'm luckily enough, they're coming here in October, so I'm hoping to go again. Um, Anderson, John Anderson, Trevor Raven and Rick Wakeman uh-huh. played here last year. Yeah. And they're now going out this year as yes. <laughs> all right i now, guess because the last billing didn't work out for him so no i don't think that um when did he get inducted into the hall of fame Re- last week week before last yeah right and then just after that they announced so yes we're in the hall of fame uh-huh. now we're going out as yes <laughs> could be coincidence uh, no probably uh, not no but of course, you have the other yes out there. Yeah. With uh, Steve Howe and is it Alan White? Yeah. Um, I think Billy Sherwood, John Davison, I think is the singer. I can't remember who else is in it. But so you have two yeses. Another fucking two. Are we going to have a Bobby Blotcher's yes? Too? <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's maybe he's the drummer with the Rakeman version. Oh, maybe. But um, I. But the the one thing that the press release that uh, that I kind of have his head scratching was uh, John Anderson said that like they were allowed to use the name, and I'm like, why the fuck didn't you use it last year then? Yeah, like what what's changed? The only thing that's changed is now you are in the Hall of Fame as a Yes member. Yeah, so it's kitching. It's all kitching. It has to be. You're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Because the other, you could say that the other version of Yes had the validity in it because it had Chris Squire, who was the only guy that had played on every single album. Yeah. And of course, Chris passed away a couple right. of years ago. So now you have, you could, you could have two Yes albums. Yeah. I guess the only other thing would be is, so when, when they went out last year as not Yes, did they play a lot of Yes material? Yeah, yeah. Was it like all well, yes material or was it? It was all, all yes the, material. It was, okay, all right. So they did, and a lot of it was, 
Raven material, of course, because like Steve Howe won't do. He might do right. one well, of Lonely Heart. I thought you know maybe they would do a couple of things off of that album, and everything else was just more other prog stuff. No, they know? did stuff off of um, all early yes, and then they did stuff off nine oh one two. Is it no? So they weren't, but it? they didn't do like Big stuff Generator off of Fragile or yeah, they did all the oh, early stuff okay. too. All right, like Rick Wakeman played on all, a lot of that stuff. John Anderson oh, sang yeah, on yeah. all of it. Yeah. Um, and Raven would have played all that stuff with the band in the 80s anyway. Sure. So they did stuff off Talk with Raven. They did stuff off, I think they did a song off the Union album. I think they did stuff off Big Generator. And mm. there was, is it 90, what the fuck's the name of it? The one with Owner of a Lonely Heart on it. Yeah, I know. I think it's like, nah, it's not 0182. It's not 901. <laughs> that's a fucking TV show, isn't it? But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, they're just yes material. Yeah. And now you have... The other version is going to go out and play the same stuff with a different singer. Yeah, and like, then then you have the argument like, which one's yes? That's a hard one because I mean, you got usually you can kind of go by because this, this is like old school fans, right? And you go, oh, well, they're going to go with the John Anderson one because he's the classic singer, right? That's the. But then you're like, shit, you got so many other people too that are like, well, Steve Howe's a guy who played guitar on Roundabout, and like. So it's yeah, I mean it, it's it's a real split thing there, and definitely there was a lot of backlash when with when Trevor was in the band because he wasn't Steve Howe. So yeah, it's. But I still think probably more people would end up the guitar nerd's going to go with the Steve Howe version, and I think everybody else looks at the John Anderson version. I think if John Anderson can still sing and listening to him recently, um he's still able to sing the songs and Trevor Raven said in interviews that the one thing that he was worried about when he got back was if John could actually sing the song. Uh-huh. He has such a unique voice yeah. in that band and I think Rick Wakeman is one of these, you know, larger than life characters, oh, great, yeah. great keyboard yeah. player. He's not one of these side stage keyboard players. No, like no, this, he's, he's one of the original center stage dudes. Yeah. Um, and and you have Trevor Raven, who's who to me is a fucking musical genius. Yeah. He's a, he's just an incredible musician. He's made a shitload of money doing soundtrack stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the only thing that's. I mean, you know his history. You know what he can do. Yeah. But by and large, again, like we just talked about, people who don't know bands still are putting shit out after the eighties. A lot of people don't know all the stuff that that guy's done. Hmm. Kind of like with Kip Winger. I mean, Kip Winger's done fuckloads of stuff. People just think, Symphonies. oh, he's that guy from Playgirl and was in that rock band, you know? But, yeah. I mean, he's done he's a written, lot of he's stuff. He's written symphonies. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. I mean, he's, he's a talented guy. I mean, they didn't they didn't pick him for nothing. Yeah, it's like, just that people don't know his body of work. Yes, I've played here probably every year, and I've never gone. Yeah. Um, well, this has always been a good market for them because we got Berkeley. True. But I, I do want, if I had a choice, mm-hmm. it's the Raven version, hands down. Hands down, yeah, no argument whatsoever. Um, I prefer that material. Um, John Anderson is your, you know, he still sings great, yeah. And uh, you know, I think this is the only chance I'm going to actually get to see Trevor Raven play. Hmm. And they're in the Orpheum again, I think, in, in October. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really do yeah, might really be a, that actually might again. be a pretty decent show to, to go see. I mean, you know, I remember when when um, when that when that album first came out and hearing some of the guitar work, and it was just. It was just interesting the way it was produced and the dynamics. What to Trevor it and stuff. Horn? 
with uh, the first album with Raven. With Raven, yeah, yeah. Trevor Horn produced. Yeah, um, just but just even the the guitar sounds that Raven was coming up with and and this phrasing and stuff was like as a guitar player, like wow, that's the solo. Like, on, how the hell is he doing the solo it? on Owner of Lonely Heart is iconic. It's yeah, amazing. It just like comes out of nowhere, you know. And but that album broke them really in the states because it is kind of shorter, more commercial songs. Ah, uh, no, because like even in high school we were big with a lot of the Yes songs. I mean, that was one of the things you you know guitar players were always like you'd screw around and you know you guaranteed every jam someone was pulling the the beginning of Roundabout out. So yeah, they was they were they were pretty big here. Mm. Okay, but that was even one of the first CDs I bought. So which one? Which one would you go see? Which version? That'd be tough. But I probably would end up seeing the same one. Yeah. Yeah. Singer. Yeah. Yeah. Not like the guys. The guys in the other version are all great musicians as well. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. I just have to. Steve Howe's an original, go. and he and and he's an amazing player. But I think if I'm going to go watch a player for a whole show. I think Rabin live is a actually a more dynamic player. So I think I'd enjoy it more. Yeah, and I think the one thing they have, well, they mightn't have it as much anymore. Um, the other version of Yes were coming around every year when Trevor Raven hadn't played with Yes in 20 years. Yeah. And now he's, you know, they're actually doing new material as well, mm. which I'm excited about. I'm just excited to see Trevor strap on the guitar and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, rock out again. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, come on, we could talk again all night here. But I, I need to get home. <laughs> yeah, well, let's. Uh, with that, let's uh, let's go and uh, hear Richie's adventures with uh, with Bobby Blitz. Bobby and, uh, Blotzer. Yeah, yeah. It's Bobby Blotzer's Bobby Blitz. Yeah, he's gonna. He's trying to get cash anywhere he can. Yeah, guess who's in the band this week? Bobby Blotzer. <laughs> So yeah. So, anyways, uh, is Richie's talk with uh, with Bobby Blitz at uh, right before Overcall went on stage at the Palladium.
Okay, so I'm here backstage with Bobby from Overkill. So how you doing, Bobby? Here we are, Tom. Doing well. Yeah, doing really good. Yeah. But, um, tour is nearly over. Um, we're here at the Worcester Palladium, and I saw you here for the first time about three or four years ago. I think you might have been with either Testament or Anthrax, and you cancelled the tour close, nearly after that show here. Yeah. Um, do you remember that show at all? Like. I remember being pretty high for it. <laughs> I was whacked out on nebulizers and uh, antibiotics. Yeah. I had pneumonia. I was actually... Um, I canceled the show the night before, got the Worcester show, and then we went to Buffalo uh, the next night. And I went down like a ton of bricks in, uh, in the hotel in the morning, and then I was uh, off the tour and stayed in the hospital in Buffalo for, for a few days. Yeah, do you normally, like every tour there's a part of it where you play hurt and you just have to get through it? Well, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of now. I mean, be, playing sick on the road is, is kind of normal. It's yeah. just, it's the way it is. You live with uh, 10 people in a contained area. One person gets sick, then everyone eventually does. Um, and I think as you get older, it, it, it affects you worse and worse each time, you know? It's just, uh, it's just the way it is. It's not like there's... There's no secret here or anything. I mean, it would be, you know, your family, this would happen to your family, not even just from touring, but if you were lived with your family that way and as you get older, you get, <clears throat> you get sicker. From. Yeah, there's nothing you can really do because your voice is the instrument. You know, the rest of the guys, they, can, they have the drums and the guitars and everything. you got to kind of... How do you take care of yourself now during the day, on the days of shows? Like, hmm. do, do, Are you one of these guys that has changed his routine from when you started to now, or do you, do you have, like... Do you have a set thing that you did back then that you do now? Is there much of a change at all? Well, at 7 o'clock, I just opened my first beer, so that's a change. <laughs> <laughs> that's a change from the early days. Um, I don't really think about it. Um, I spend my... I don't, I don't isolate myself from people. I, I like people. That's why I do this. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I... Uh, you know, I take more vitamins. I, uh, I try to eat well. Um, Really, sleep is a huge part of it. You know, yeah. if you're going to enjoy the day, you have to kind of forego the night. If you're going to uh, forego the day, then you will enjoy the night. Mm. So it's a you know a simple, simple adjustments. But I never overthink it. It's it's just uh, I, I think life just tells you what to do. You know, your body tells you what to do. I mean, you're having a bad fucking Monday. You go to bed early. You know, that's just the way it is. Yeah, no, I was here a few weeks ago at a Dead Angel show, and I saw a kid get on the barrier and he jumped into the crowd. And about 30 seconds later, these two guys, they dragged a girl right in front of me, out cold, mm. right? And I was thinking the next time I was, I was doing an in-person interview with someone, it happens to be yourself now, what are some of the scariest things you've seen the crowd do from the stage over the years? Well, you know, I, I think it's excitement, so I never think it's scary, you know, you know what I mean? I, I mean, I've seen people get hurt, um, uh, there's been situations where, you know, band members have gone down from people coming up. I never think it's intentional, you know. I mean, it's. Uh, I'm sure there's been some intentional moments. I, I jumped in an audience once in in Melbourne, Australia, and I remember coming. I was on my way down, and my knee was out. I'm like, turn around, turn around, and she wasn't turning around. And I got her right in the back of the head, and she went down like a ton of bricks, you know. And I remember we dragged her backstage, and she was sitting in a chair like you are, just a straight back chair, and uh, was holding her hands. Don't come on, and they're putting water on her face. We called the paramedics, and uh, she woke up and she said, "Fucking Bobby Blitz." And I said, "Yes, are you okay?" She goes, "I am." She goes, "You have a beer?" <laughs> 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 you 
As I get this young lady a beer. The, 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 <coughs> what did Homer Simpson say? The beer, the, the cause and the solution to all those problems. <laughs> <laughs> I remember telling an Australian journalist that he goes, nah, that's a good a bussy girl. But the uh, but I don't think that there's anything that was that scary. There's sure shit's happened. I've seen people fall out of balconies, uh, leap out of them into the crowd, uh, crowd walking, surfing. Uh, I've seen guys fall off stages, go headfirst into barricades. But I, it's all based on excitement. And I think it, as I play these pictures in my head, I don't think of anybody's head exploding, for instance, or yeah. you know, someone dying or, or something like such. Have you ever stopped the show? In the past? Uh, last week, I stopped one in, uh, but a kid had a seizure, you know, so okay. I, mean, I, I I knew something was wrong. It was right in the front row, I knew it was going down, that's why I stopped the show. So. Yeah. But um, it's been a couple of times in the early days where it's gotten so out of hand that uh, we had to stop the show because the band couldn't play. You know, where did have security move them off. Yeah, where do you think now, you've toured the world, where do you think are the rowdiest fans? Is there like South America, maybe somewhere in Europe? Or are they just all nuts, <laughs> generally? You know, it's always somewhere... I always think that uh, the rowdiest fans are the ones who get the least opportunities. That would be like the Turks, for instance. Uh, some of the South American countries. You know, the Argentinians can go out of their fucking mind. Because, mm. you know, you've only been there once or twice. The Chileans. Yeah. Um, you, know, the, you know, the more normal uh, economic flow countries... Uh, you know, the European nations, uh, Western Europe, uh, United States, Canada, you're not going to get that. But I, I think as soon as it becomes really special, uh, based on economics and, and based on, um, I don't know if it's social value, but it, it's, uh, you know, it, for instance, in South America, they don't have the opportunity you have here mm. to see Death Angel two weeks ago and to see us and then... You know, a week from now you can see somebody else, and two weeks from now see somebody else. They don't always have that opportunity, so it becomes special, which you know institutes that excitement in them. So sure, South America, Middle East, places like that. But in the early days, man, that could have been anywhere. And you know, in the '80s, that could have been San Francisco, New York, Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah. First time you toured Europe, right? Yeah. Um, do you have any memories of any particular shows anywhere you really wanted to see? Um, you know, Eastern Europe, maybe, you know, what opened your eyes when the first time you went to tour Europe? Was there anything in particular? Uh, you know, we went over in 86, it was April. Um, it was Anthrax, Overkill, and a band out of California called Agent Steel. Oh, and Agent Steel, yeah, I remember uh, Chernobyl, Chernobyl just uh, exploded, the nuclear disaster. Yeah. Um, I remember my mother saying, don't eat anything fresh, you know, no, no, <laughs> no greens. Only stuff out of cans, frozen meats. Um, I remember that um, we did our first live uh, video. It was called uh, Metal Hammer Roadshow, Bochum Zesha. And uh, we still play this place sometimes years later. It's, uh, the Bochum Zesha is in what's called the Ruhrpott. It's, the, it's kind of the factory area mm -hmm. of uh, Germany. And, it, and to me, it's kind of become... Well, Germany as a whole, but uh, this area has kind of become a really special area because it was the first time I got to see us playing to another audience and experience that from, you know, from like watching it like a fan. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's probably where my eyes were open the most was the Bochum Session. And 30 years later, uh, almost to the day, it was last April uh, two th uh, 2016, it was, uh, that was 30 years, um, we filmed in that same neighborhood again. So that's kind of the special area. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I've asked a lot of people this question, and I'm sure you have a, an answer for it. The European audiences, compared to the American audiences, there's a big difference, because all you've got to do is look at the festivals. And this, the bills are so eclectic, mm. and yet the, the fans over there are, are so loyal. Do you have any particular insight as to why? Because you've gone over and back a lot, and you've toured all the states and, and South America and these places. Yeah, um, well, I, I mean, I think it's part of your culture in Europe, uh, to certain loyalties are just part of the culture, even beyond that of music. Mm. Um, I think if you like it, you like it, and, and you stay with it. But I also think that there's a, there's a huge difference uh, between alcohol being part of your culture at an early earlier age than over here, and it takes an American guy or girl to mature with regards to alcohol till they're thirty or so, <laughs> as opposed to an Irish kid who's been having beers in the pub at sixteen or fifteen, and it's not so it's not so taboo is is really what it is. It, it's yeah. you know my wife is uh, Dutch and uh, parents owned a bar. She said back in the, you know, in the 80s, we would, you know, a guy came in with his son, we would give him a beer if he was 14, and that's what the father wanted. It was part of the culture. I think, I think one of the reasons the festivals work over there is that you start filling, you know, 22-year-old American people with alcohol that's coming out of their ears. Yeah. The insurance companies want nothing to do with it. <laughs> so it's a little hard to be loyal to festivals that are not going to last that long. Yeah. So maybe it's not necessarily... A cultural question, but uh, but um, or, or why it, people's loyalty uh, lies there? But it's more of a cultural alcohol thing versus insurance companies, which keep our festivals kind of under yeah. wraps over here. Yeah. So. What's the most eclectic bill you've ever been on? Is the one that stands out to you? Yes, uh, Roskilda, nineteen ninety four. Ray Charles, Chris Isaacs. Wow. Uh, yeah, Overkill. Uh, Anthrax was on that bill. Midnight Oil. Um, From Australia, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, quite a quite a, a unique thing. We we had Ray Charles was playing in a tent over here. We were on over here. Chris Isaacs followed us, you know. So it was uh, it was really unique. And he had that. Uh, Chris Isaacs was kind of like a rockabilly guy with a big uh, hit called Wild Game or Wicked Thing or. Um, Chris Isaac is indeed Miley Cyrus's father. No, no, that's no. Uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh, okay. Chris Isaacs was more of a. Rockabilly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, well, one of those guys. <laughs> Wicked Game. That was the, the hit. Yeah. yeah. So what's the toughest audience you've ever played to? Mm. Well, I think the toughest audience we ever played to was in 1986. Um, we were asked to open for Slayer. And wow. Slayer already had, their, had made their bones, and we hadn't. And that was the toughest audience to play for. And I remember we were really excited when we got out to Seattle. We played some theater out there and then had, we played it into a hail of pennies and double A batteries and then realized that Overkill better get some energy and start moving around on the stage and make make us harder targets to hit. <laughs> so you, by the third show we were okay. Did you ever uh, play a festival in Europe and have the balls of piss thrown at you or any, anything? No, like that? no, 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 no. No, always been treated with greatest amounts of respect uh, by, you know. I know it could be endearing in some places, but I mean, I, I really don't need to be hit by some of these Europe. <laughs> though, though, probably by giving that fucking answer, I've just ended that streak, haven't I? <laughs> you bottle pissing pricks. <laughs> so, how, how do you deal with the, uh, the mundane day to day shit on the road? I'll give you an example now. When I spoke to Ted Aguilar a few weeks ago, he says what he likes to do to get away from everyone else is he likes to go out and film stuff, he brings the camera with him. <coughs> 
and he says that's different to what all the rest of the guys do so he gets his own space that way how do you deal with the mundane now well i handle the press i mean this is our business too uh, so i run part of the business firm okay uh, but i deal with the promotion of the band so that's you know this takes up part of the time you know we've always realized that you need you, it's great to have a, a passion but you need a platform to launch it from mm-hmm. and that platform oh i hear four count and that platform is based on um, having a positive revenue stream. Yeah. So it, it's it's more than just hey, I'm in a band, isn't this cool, and have a few beers and and call home once every two days. It's not the way it works. Um, for years, I ran a secondary business out here, but it's recently been sold. Um, so I've always had something to do. It's never been. It's never just like kind of twiddle my thumbs or play video games. It's never been my thing. It's always kind of been something productive with regard to the band or other business that I own. Yeah. Now, when you when you get off the road, is it easy for you now to adjust? Has it gotten easier? Like, do you go back to normal life, or do you just like is it like turning the cap around and it's like you can you can separate one from the other very easily now? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, you know, I, I think one of the keys that Overkill's always had is that. We, we have a gray area with both of them. You know, this has always been a family. Uh, and, and I'm not trying to say it like, oh, we're a family, man. It's not that. We we have our wives and our kids out. Yeah. You, you know, that the, the reason that guys can tour for 35 years is because they got great families at home. They'll understand that shit. Well, they're not going to understand it if they're excluded from it. You know, so my wife just went home, for instance. You know, so it, it's never an issue to have somebody's beloved out or their kids or something so so I think that it's not really about spinning the cap it's about keeping the cap in the same place yeah. and letting them wear it too because yeah. uh, uh, you know that that's what keeps it kind of real for us it's not sex drugs and rock and roll it's never been if I was home I'd be popping my first beer right now too yeah. and my wife would understand and I'd be cooking dinner with her you know so if that's the same mentality thousands of miles away from home it's really possible to do both yeah, now, you've known Dee Dee for a long, long time, right? Yeah. been in the band from the beginning, right? What's the biggest change you've seen in him since you started the band? Or has he not changed at all? Well, it's really hard to say because, you know, I, I'm, I've, I've been next to him through all the changes, and he's been next to me through all the changes, and I think that we probably both have, uh, you know, changed simultaneously or, or around each other, to, you know, to some degree. Um, you know, he always had a head for business. Um, I remember his wife saying one day, and I, I've known Didi's wife. This, this will explain what I mean by family. I met Didi on a Monday. I met his wife-to-be on the Tuesday in 1980. Wow. You, you know what I'm saying? This yeah. is how long I've known these, both of these people. Yeah. So she said to me one day, she said, you know, it works for you guys because... You have exactly the same upbringings that you were, you know, you were put in a position to have passion for something, but you always kept those you loved above that passion. And that was always, because of that, the band has always taken care of itself because you treat each other like those people on that platform. So I don't really notice the changes because it all just seems obvious to me. It seems like, it seems like the same kid I met back in 81, you know? So yeah, now with all the lineup changes over the years, did it ever get to such a low point where you and Dee said, "Look, 
we'd just call it a day and, and, and let the band finish. Has it ever even got to that stage at all with you and Nick? No, we knew that there was always opportunities. You know, the best thing that happened was when, you know, back in the 90s when so many of the bands kind of went home and lived with mom and dad and wondered why nobody appreciated their genius. <clears throat> it gave us more opportunities. You know, we just hung around until, you know, I mean, it was, a, it was a plan to some degree. You know, it wasn't just a panic. It was, we could get this done. If more and more drop out, all it'll do is raise our value. We, we just knew it right from the beginning. So there was never, there was never that talk going back and forth uh, with regard to, you know, let's end this because it's too hard. The fact that it became hard made it even more worthwhile to some degree because now it wasn't going to be given to us. We were going to have to take it, you know, so we were prepared. I mean, it just, we were prepared. You know, one, one day, you know, one year the room was crowded with 100 thrash bands at our level. A year later there were eight at our level. We knew our value had risen through the roof. We scored some of our best deals when everybody else quit, you know, so. Did, did you find, it, like, around that time that your touring had to be done outside of the U.S., that you really had to travel a lot more than you used to? Not necessarily. We, we lost some areas. Like, we didn't get out to California as often as we should have, but we did, for every record, we did three runs east of the Mississippi. I mean, and that was just, that was no problem to do whatsoever. Florida, Northeast, Midwest, out to Minnesota, just over to Mississippi, um, get into Canada. It was probably a 12-year period or so where we weren't in California on a regular basis. Like, we'd pop off for a show here and there. We'd go to Denver for a show here and there. The, the problem wasn't the desire... Uh, by promoters. The problem was it was a dead space between the Mississippi and the West Coast. Yeah. So it was going to take us two days off to do that. And the promoters weren't paying that well back then. So we just decided to neglect that, do everything east of the Mississippi, South America, Mexico. We we're still doing Japan. And we did uh, we did Europe for, you know, at least one run, sometimes two. Yeah, do you have any particular places in the world where circle on the calendar, you love that city or something, you can't wait to go back there, or you've even gone back when the band has been off the road on vacation there, is there anywhere that sticks out like that? Well, I like most European cities, um, I was just um, I was just in Budapest with my wife okay. uh, we like Vienna uh, I like Prague uh, really never a lot, been, never been to any of them fantastic <laughs> places, I mean, the old communist jewels, you know, those yeah. uh, you know, from the from the, uh, from the the old days, I mean, they're, they're just gorgeous cities um one of my favorite North American cities is Quebec City. Okay. Uh, I really like that. Um, American City, my probably my favorite visual city is San Francisco. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, yeah. Visually. <laughs> <laughs> Don't yeah. go over the bridge. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Visually. Yeah. So, you know, you got the new album now, now the grinding wheel.
every two years you guys seem to bring out a great album. And are you a perfectionist now when it comes to the material? Is it easy for you to let it go? Because like your, your material now is there's, there's very few bands that I think it's as good mm. as their classic '80s stuff, in my opinion. But are you very hard on yourself now when you when when you write? Do you find it difficult to let songs go because you're, you're bringing out albums pretty regularly? No, I don't think so. I mean, you know. Uh, I think we're opportunists. We like opportunity. It, it still excites us. I think that that's obvious. Um, sure, there's a you know there's some stylistic thread that goes from record to record, whether it be similarity in voice, some vocal lines, some riffing. But you know, even this record has bent everything in different directions. You know, it's this shit is showing all the stuff we grew up on as kids. I mean, the punk rock and the and the traditional metal and the new wave of British heavy metal and the Sabbath-esque groove and, you know, just show, it goes all over the fucking place. And so it's just kind of fun to do. I mean, there's, you know, if I felt I had something to lose, it, you know, it might be a harder record to write. And some other, somebody else would say to you, oh, but then it would give you more passion. I was like, fuck that. I'd rather have fun writing music with, you know, my buddies than... So I never think of it as just letting it go or just being like, tight about it it's just it's really it's really a nice good time to and we have this like we have this system now where you know we got guys like you know Dee Dee and Dave have some uh, have similar studios um, we have this huge luxury of time I mean it's like if you gave us this amount of time when we were in our 20s we would fuck up everything but now you <laughs> give us eight months to get like shit together and record and do demos we make better records with it because Experience brings us back to saying, you know what, I'm going to let it go, I'll listen in a week. And then you go, oh, there's the problem, and you fix it. You know, as opposed to, what is it, what is it, I need to know now. You know, and that's what it, yeah. the non-experienced person does. So I think that, you know, after all this time, saying, hey, it's serious to us, we're getting down to business, but I really don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. It's really kind of, yeah. it's freeing to some degree, you know, so... I think that that's probably probably in there lies our our secret or our our success. Yeah. So you're you're you obviously you don't write on the road. There's a lot of bands try and write on the road and they can't, and some do. But do you write on the road at all, or do, do you like do you have to have a certain environment to write songs? No, I I, I do it on the road. You do? Yeah, I have okay. no problem. I mean, well, I've I've had my uh, extra little recording devices with tracks and stuff. Always put it in the back of the bus. Okay. On this tour, I won't because it just came out. But if we do another U.S. run and we're writing music, I'll have something to. Yeah. Yeah, I and mean, I've done it for the last three records. Okay. And I write like into the demos or as much as I can because you know, you're coming from the stage to the bus and you see some people. You have a few beers and you go, oh, you know something? Maybe I had to put that. It's two lines a day. It's three words. It's a verse, a chorus, something like that. And they're just demos. Yeah, but the, the the energy transfer is really easy from the stage to to uh, demoing on the road. Yeah, no, you've been self-producing for a long time now. Yeah, indeed, right. But early on in your career, you work with the likes of uh, I think you work with Terry Day. Yeah. you work with Alex on I Hear Black. Anything in particular you learned from those guys <clears throat> when it came to producing yourselves? Well, I mean, you got to keep your eyes open for sure. Um, 
I think that, you know, and every producer is really different, and it's how they stay organized. And, and Alex Perialis and Tori Date were two absolutely opposite people. You know, one was very uh, relaxed, and, uh, and one was very, um, could get very tense. Yeah. Uh, but both could, both could add positive things to the situation with either uh, approach. Mm. You know, Terry Date just kind of let us do what we wanted to do. We wanted to make Alex kind of had an idea where it was like, no, no, I want this, I want this. You know, Terry's like, do what you do best. But each worked out for us. So I think that, you know, what we learned from it was to be eclectic and that really, when it comes to produ production, uh, production is not mixing. Production is really uh, agreeing on tones and then staying fucking organized. That's what it is, figuring out where all your stuff is so that when you go to mix it or give it to somebody else to mix, it's just like looking down a chart where you can just figure where everything is. And, and with modern day technology, I mean, that's literally what it is. It's looking at a chart of different vocals, of drum hits, of... So it's about staying organized. But I, but I think it's... You know, what we learned from those guys was... And, and I'll always take the more relaxed way of doing it because I like that. Um, was just stay organized and put into it where you can. I like working quick, fast, do four hours a day, get the fuck out of there, I'll see you tomorrow. You know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Of all the albums you did in the past now with the band, is the one that stands out was that was the most difficult to do? There's a couple of them. Um, there's two of them that were kind of equal. There was uh, one called Relics. Yeah. Um, and that was because we didn't stay organized and didn't agree on tones. And that's why I used that. And I think we were stuck with something we couldn't mix correctly yeah. as we tried to mix it. And then there was a record called Bloodletting, which I thought was... Uh, Colin Richardson came in and saved it in the mix, but uh, man, the production was just fucking tough. We had a guy, Quitness, in the middle, an engineer, was back during the uh, digital audio tape eras, so it wasn't like Pro Tools and it wasn't two inch, it was that in between shit, which was just shit. And it was, um, and the guy just split, you know, right in the middle of it. We were just lost trying to figure out what are we going to do now, you know. So. They, they were the two hardest. Yeah. Um, has there ever been any rumors? Well, you've probably been rumors, but is there any, has there ever been a, any, any calls for to get some of the old members back to do a, a show or anything like that? Or is that something you don't even... From us or from them? No, no for you guys. Like they'd say, can you get the lineup for Horoscope back and go out and do a show with Europe somewhere? Uh, nobody's really asked directly. I mean, I know that they would... They would entertain the idea, yeah. like if you had Bobby Gustafson back in the yeah. band. I mean, he was—he's obviously a principal songwriter and had a lot to do with the band back then, and to some degree where it is today, some degree. Um, but I don't think we'd do that. We would never disrespect these guys. Yeah. We got a nice—you know—we got a nice little thing. You know, we're not tough guys. We're not fucking. We're just kind of—we just got a good set of principles. You know, for a bunch of Jersey guys, you know, we understand each other and we don't want to fuck that up. Yeah. So sure, I mean, would somebody like that idea? Of course. Would we do it? I, I wouldn't do it. It's not. It's never been about money for me. It's. It, if it was ten years from now and the band hadn't played, sure. But I'm not gonna fucking stop the band from the grinding wheel right now and go yeah. over to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> Last question. Yeah. Um, they used to say that like success was like defined by the number of record sales you had. What's your definition of success now that the record industry isn't what it used to be? 
it's never really changed for me, you know, because I, you know, I never, I never experienced huge record sales. Never. Yeah. Um, you know, when you read on Wikipedia, it's somebody else's idea of what we sold. It's not what we sold. So, I think the fact that I've always made a living out of it, I've always expanded that living, and been able to live my life in motorcycle boots and Levi's. I mean, that's kind of my definition of success. I mean, I, I'm not small-sighted or short-sighted, but it's given me everything I want. I don't want for anything, and I, you know, and I, and I have, it's a life. It's not a career. It's not a job, you know? So it's, it's more than just, uh, it's what I do, you know? So that's kind of success, you know, in, in my opinion. My father told me when I was a kid, he goes, he goes, you don't have to be, he goes, you don't have to be the biggest bait salesman on the pier. Just be the best in your head and you'll be the happiest man there is. And he's 100% right. I'm not the biggest bait salesman. But in my head, I think I'm the best bait salesman. So there's my success. Okay. I think we'll leave it there, Bobby. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure, man. All right. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Metalheads, that is a wrap for yet another week here on Focus on Metal. Of course, 
big thanks to Bobby Blitz for uh, sitting down with Richie and talking all about the new album, The Grinding Wheel, as well as a tour and a bit of Overkill history. And if you want to find out more about Overkill, you can go to their official website, WreckingCrew.com. And it should go without saying to go and pick yourself up a copy of their brand new one, The Grinding Wheel, out now on Nuclear Blast. You know that Overkill is one of those seminal thrash bands still around all these years later, still cranking out great albums, as Richie noted, just about every two years, got a new one coming out. And as I had mentioned last week, I'm still going and uh, reading Martin Popoff's brand new one, Hit the Lights, The History of Thrash, and uh, there is a lot of conversation about the influence of Overkill in there, along with, of course, Anthrax and Metallica and Megadeth, but Overkill is one of those bands that's listed in there as one of those early bands, very important to the history of thrash. So again, as I said, it is over for this week. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. Not sure what is up for next week. Possibly uh, Robin McCauley will be coming back on the show. I think that is tentatively what we have scheduled, but you never know. In the meantime, you can always keep up with us at focusonmetal.net, focusonmetal.blogspot.com, over on Facebook as well as on Twitter. And, of course, also be sure to visit our friends over at earpeeler.com to get even more great audio and video content all about hard rock and metal. But for now, for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.